Two of the most creative and uh, vital spirits in the American literary scene today are Allen Ginsberg and William Burroughs. Uh, they represent to some people a certain epoch in our society, a certain era, and they represent a good deal that is now, too. They're in Chicago at the moment, both together, and t uh, Friday night, they're doing a reading of their works, uh, the prose, poems, and poetry of William Burroughs and the poetry of Allen Ginsberg. Mr. Ginsberg, you know, won the National Book Award last year for the fall of America, and is known for his two powerful works, Howl and Kaddish, among his many other works. So we'll and be reading at the Museum of Contemporary Art at 8 p.m. It's at 8 p.m., but I get that straight. Friday That's fr night. Friday night. William Burroughs, known best for his very powerful and innovative novel, The Naked Lunch, also known for The Soft Machine and Nova Express, and we think of him both as a novelist and poet. So and most recent work, Exterminator. Exterminator. And after this and message... And The Wild Boys. And The Wild Boys? Yes. And after this message, uh, we'll hear from my two guests, and there'll be a rather interesting introduction in a moment. Un momento. The occasion on which I last ran into Allen Ginsberg and William Burroughs was an interesting one. It was Chicago, 1968, August. Immediately, a memory and experiences evoked on the part of the listeners. It was the Democratic Convention, and it was a very beautiful August evening, and it was in Lincoln Park, and many young people gathered to speak, and young clergy were sponsoring it. And there, were also, without my knowing at the moment, uh, Bill Burroughs and Allen Ginsberg. Suppose we recreate the scene through the words and memories. The day after the event is what you'll hear. Uh, James Cameron, British journalist, and myself are scattered now. The tear gas came at 11 o'clock at night. The tear gas came, the Covering police... the cross of Christ, which was raised in the park. That's, that's right. Uh, the, the young clergy and the kids who came there to protest Vietnam and other things had, 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 had carried a, a rude wooden cross and put right. it up, and the uniformed figures from the distance came, that is, the trucks came, and the canisters of tear gas. Everybody stumbled, and we found ourselves, and James Cameron and myself pick it up. We found ourselves in the lobby of the uh, Midland Hotel to escape the noxious gas that was, by the way, now by this time, all over the street. And there were a great many. Now here came this motley band <laughs> in the lobby of a hotel near north uh, that in which live, uh, oh, uh, near north siders, some members of the half world, uh, Petty gamblers, wide variety of things, uh, guys who live as best they can. So yeah, Quite a few celebrities, too. In the lobby, of course, were also Allen Ginsberg, who had lost his voice singing mantras. And as one young guy says, tell him that you'll be with him. Since he's, he's lost his voice, just to say, um, and not um, he'll <laughs> save his voice. And uh, there was Terry Southern and William Burroughs, The Naked Lunch, and Jean Genet was there. And this was some lobby. All were there, and yeah, if the if the police had only realised it, they could have come in and eliminated three quarters of the new intelligentsia in <laughs> one fell sweep if they'd wanted to. <laughs> and everything was Jean Genet, uh, watching, not knowing English, with his interpreter, who was just watching it with the eyes of a child. Almost noticed him there. I was furious because I just started to smoke my cigar yes. when the I had this nice fifteen cent cigar. And I started to smoke. I thought the cigar could be my psychological weapon, just hold a cigar. But when the noxious fumes came, nothing. And I lost that cigar. I'm furious. It was a good one. I just had a couple of good puffs at it. <laughs> but there we were in the lobby. Now, why don't you pick up the lobby scene? Well, it was, uh, as you say, a completely mixed-up sort of crowd, including these uh, half-dozen really quite celebrated young writers of the, of the left, 
And what I noticed particularly was uh, across the lobby, in the middle of all this extraordinary scene of confusion, with people retching and coughing and blowing their noses, a large tourist sign saying, Six Good Reasons for Visiting Chicago. <laughs> and it seemed to be... And so with that lead-in, uh, here Allen Ginsberg, some years later now, some seven years later, and William Burroughs. Thoughts that come to your mind, Alan, as that scene's recreated. Well, uh, a poem I wrote the very next day, which was August 28th, after getting tear-gassed again in Grand Park. Because mm -hmm. uh, what happened was David Dellinger had, uh, led the, that pacifist uh, march, which was stopped by the police, and then tear gas came down after, uh, after the march broke up. So uh, I was sitting in Grant Park after the melee. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that in Grant Park. It was, like, it was still coughing. <laughs> Surrealistic image by Allen Ginsberg. William Burroughs, your thoughts. Yeah. Well, I, I was uh, there to cover the um, convention for Esquire, and I wrote something about that very scene. That was that's, uh, Those were my impressions of the same event. Yeah. It's funny. I'm thinking of the two separate and yet very similar impressions written in different ways mm -hmm. by Allen Ginsberg and Bill Barr's about one event. Uh, a few other things I remember. What I was uh, doing, we were all sitting on a little knoll overlooking that cross, thinking, well, there's a certain strength and how marvelous there's all these rabbis and priests out there raising up a cross against the violence. And all of a sudden, uh, unbelievable, like Burroughs's image of like yeah. a 1917 World War I yeah. movie with the tear yeah, gas yeah. moving across the field, yeah. slowly <laughs> covering up the cross. <laughs> and so I remember Bill and I and um, Jean Genet held hands and slowly walked out of the park. And I think I was uh, chanting, and uh, what I was chanting at the time was Om, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, uh, since probably very few people at the time ever get to, got to hear it, and since uh, Judge Hoffman wouldn't let me reproduce it properly in find the courtroom trial. find out that you were a defense witness for yes. the uh, seven... Chicago seven court, conspiracy, court conspiracy trial. trial. And Judge Hoffman wouldn't let you... Uh, you might describe... Yeah, what, I had, uh, well, the, the situation was that I was a witness for the defense to say that we were trying to do some nice peaceful things too, like uh, organized community chanting rather than fighting back. So um, Leonard Weinglass and, and uh, William Kunstler, the defense lawyers, uh, put me on the stand and asked me to chant Hare Krishna and to chant Om to Judge Hoffman and the jury to d demonstrate exactly what the vibe was we were trying to send out. So Hoffman wouldn't let me play my little harmonium, which is a little pump organ uh, you can sit on your lap with a pump and a, and a keyboard. Because he said, well, you can only, uh, in American courtrooms, you can only testify in, in, in English. <laughs> Forgetting that he was using Latin also. <laughs> so uh, what it was that I was trying to say was, Oh,
nothing nothing violent about that at all, is there? Well, it, it sets up a very definite yeah, vibe yeah, of yeah. sort of calming the scene, yeah. particularly if you can get a, a mob to be chanting. Mm-hmm. Though I, my great mistake, that, that convention, which I corrected at the 1972 Miami Tear Gas Convention, was shifting the mantra from Om, which was relatively alien and foreign as a sound, to something more American, a single word mantra, Ah. So you can do Ah. But or, what was ah. the mistake? Was well, that? Om was too alien, too far. Oh, I see. Ah is better. Ah, ah. is yeah. sort of purification of speech yes. and appreciation of the space. Om is too enclosed. You sort of closed eye and it's a little too mystical. Ah is open and sort of yeah. like open-eyed and uh, everybody yeah. can say ah. Yeah. Well, since Alan has brought the subject of mantras and the harmonium, the, there's an early uh, British and um, later American instrument the idea of many cultures are involved, uh, the impact of the East upon Western technology has also had an impact on your writings, hasn't it, Bill? And, and Alan, too. Well, so uh, uh, certainly I think more impact on Alan's writing mm-hmm. than on mine. In yours, no. you lived a long time in North Africa. That's what I mean. Oh, yes, yes, yes I did indeed. I guess yes, that is the East. So the near yes, East. I did, yeah. and I've been very much uh, influenced by my experience there, <laughs> by Moroccan music and uh, the whole Arab the whole Arab culture. Can I ask this question of Bill Burroughs? What is that led you? This is a mm. tough one. Bill Burroughs of St. Louis, of, of rather wealthy background, IBM yourself, led you, not simply to writing, but to that area, to that North African, quote-unquote, exotic area, away from what could be a much more conventional life. Well, the conventional life was actually not all that available to me. I graduated from Harvard during the Depression, and when a Harvard degree meant very little. And uh, while my grandfather was the inventor of the adding machine, my family got almost nothing out of it. So we were could never have been described as wealthy. And um, by the time I went to North Africa, I'd already written this book, junkie and had the experiences that are described in there, and I was more or less, uh, should we say, committed to writing, and I had read Paul Bowles' books about um, Tangier, and it sounded like a very fascinating place, and I must say it fully lived up to expectations when I got there. I think Bill Burroughs' book, Naked Lunch. Bill lived in, uh, in Mexico? Yes. Also before for a while. Yes, I lived in Mexico for uh, about three years. Naked Lunch was one of the earliest, one of the most vivid, was it not, descriptions of the nature of of, of dope on a guy, wasn't it? Well, uh, more and more, uh, the nature of addiction. Of addiction. Yeah. And, but not merely dope addiction, yeah. but power addiction. How, uh, go ahead. Money addiction. Uh, petrochemical addiction. Control addiction, as as uh, Bill develops it in his later uh, later works up yes. to the Wild Boys. I was struck by some pictures of Nixon uh, during the Watergate, and he looked just like a sick addict. Uh, this power yeah. falling away from him. Withdrawal symptoms. Yes, and uh, I've had lifetime uh, photographers describe to me the terrible withdrawal symptoms when their expense account was withdrawn. <laughs> well, aren't we talking now about the connection? Remember the play of Jack yes. Elbert? We're talking yes. about everybody has a connection. Everybody has an addiction with religion. But you yeah. say power. Power, of course, is the perhaps the most powerful of all addictions. Well, remember the, the effect of, of opiates is to sort of encase you, to cover you, to protect you, 
and exactly the same uh, power and money do exactly the same thing. And if that cover is withdrawn, then you're, uh, you have the withdrawal symptoms, the extreme sensitivity. So, so I think um, more uh, listening to Bill Reed at Northwestern yeah. University last night, I get more and more struck with a central metaphor of his work, which is that as he himself uh, underwent the uh, withdrawal symptoms mm -hmm. from opium addiction and went through the psychological transformation to get clean, mm -hmm. uh, de-addicting himself, mm -hmm. he also got a tremendous amount of insight into the very basic mechanisms of addiction in American society. Yeah. And that's the central metaphor of most of his work up through yeah. Exterminator and yes. Wild Boy. Do you have any passages that you could read that, uh, that during the program sometime or that could exemplify that at all? As we go along. Oh, I was just trying to think. Yeah. You mean uh, exemplify the, uh, the nature of addiction? Yeah, as it applies in American society outside mm -hmm. of dope. I remember in Naked Lunch there is the, the, the great phrase that uh, um, uh, uh, let's see, selling is as much of a habit as using. Yeah, so selling is more of a habit mm. than using. And, uh, and uh, then there's a further metaphor that the uh, police, like the drug enforcement agencies, such as the people that are now attacking Hugh Hefner, mm. are precisely addicted, like junkies, mm. to power and to, yeah. to their power over other people yes. and their power to, to uh, to uh, create paranoia in other people and to dominate other people. Yeah. It's like, no. And yeah. also, it's true with power that the more you exercise uh, power addiction, that is, the, the deeper you get into it, the more difficult it becomes to get out of it because uh, you would be exposed to all the um, bad karma that you build up. In our very city, yes. in our city at this moment, Richard J. Daly, perhaps is a, if there were a flesh and blood metaphor, it is yeah. stroke 72 but by God, he's going to show him, and of course he did, you see. He's going to hang but, on to that hat. Yeah, <laughs> but you see, no matter what, you yeah. see, the city could be destroyed, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's this addiction to our power, yeah. perhaps the most, he said, will it sell? Of course, selling too. You know, we yes. think of the TV commercial, of course, I guess the most pervasive single phenomenon well, visually of our life. You know. yeah. Well, conspicuous uh, consumption yeah. itself is precisely that addiction to over-accumulation and consumption of material uh, junk around us. Yeah. Well, just as Bill Burroughs yeah. is haunted and is so eloquent and creative mm -hmm. in, in describing addiction I think he's power, a passage there. Before that, you yourself, and in your case, similar row, and yet from Patterson to different mm -hmm. parts of the world and it, listening to the harmonium mm -hmm. and um, I suppose, am, am I assuming your attempt to overlay it with a certain peaceful, that is, to make it non-aggressive, to make well, life non-aggressive? You know, Bill and I have known each other 30 yeah. years or more. Uh, Bill was my first guru, so to speak, or one of my first teachers, both literarily and psychologically. We met in 1944, Christmas, in New York. And uh, my intellectual development uh, uh, was really supervised by him when I was in school. Then uh, he was in, uh, so to speak, exile for many years in Europe, and I was uh, holding forth here in Chicago, but uh, bearing a good deal of his uh, basic ideas in mind because he influenced my development. And one of the first things he taught me was uh, to de-addict myself from language. That language itself was an addiction, and that, that we were all addicted to a ticker tape repetition of conditioned concepts and words running through our heads, determining our thoughts, feelings, and apparent sensory impressions even so that uh, I branched out into the study of Buddhism and mantra as sort of applications of examination of my own consciousness and clarification and cleaning up of my own consciousness. So a practice silence or practice mantra as a way of blanking out, uh, like om, sort of, or ah, 
purifies the speech because it's like a white sound that uh, turns off all the other uh, chattering and uh, leaves an empty space to appreciate. Yes. Well, it's to be remembered that um, sound, or words, are actual painkillers. Uh, that they can, um, dentists can operate, and even more uh, minor surgery can be performed just with uh, music through headphones. So or hypnotic, or hypnotic yeah. suggestion. So it's certainly one of the um, one of the basic mechanisms of compulsive verbalization is uh, as a pain that it's a painkiller. It is literally junk. Yeah. That's junk too. Yeah. That's interesting. Language is junk. Right. Yeah. Language right. as dope. Yeah. Right. And, and so who controls the when supply? When it becomes ah. compulsive. Now we come as a phrase long ago. Yeah. Who's the pusher? Yes. Yeah, who well, controls? Wait, who? Remember the selling of the president, the selling of the concepts and images, say, of Nixon, or uh, the role of the mass media in selling images and words uh, to the public. But well, that's Bill's expertise yeah. there. So that's is, 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 is who, yeah. so who sells the language? Who conditions right. you to think or use a certain phrase? Yeah. And so this is interesting, language is junk, and yes. so in a way, Bill Burroughs played a role yeah. in de-addicting you from yes. the use of what might be considered banal language or the accepted traditional language, which is junk. Conditioned language. Condition, you know, conditioned habitual language. language. Habit, habit language. Okay. Right. we got a language habit. Yeah. Habit yeah. language, and above all, compulsive language. Right, right. right. Well, I'm thinking, since you two speak of, uh, you speak of early meeting, when Allen Ginsberg was here for the big table, Paul Carroll's big table under attack by the by the Comstocks of our day. For the language. For, for the, the language. For the language. use of language. Yes, right, precisely. Uh, there were several benefits. They were trying to control the language yeah, in Chicago yeah. in 1959. And this was 1959. Right. And you were in a studio, another studio we yeah. had. You came with Gregory Corso and, and Orlovsky, Peter Orlovsky. Peter Orlovsky. And now I suppose we hear a part of that. No. Yeah, but I should say, just oh, before we go into it, say, yeah. that the reason we came was that yeah. the Chicago Review was going to publish the first large section of Burroughs' Naked Lunch ever to be published in America. Oh, that was it. And that was being banned. Or anywhere else. Or anywhere else. else. Oh, so that was the so first. So that was the reason we came. the first we publication was at the University of Chicago. It was. Yeah. yeah. And, and now that the led, uh, that led directly to the publication of the, um, of the novel in, um, by Maurice Girodius of Olympia Press in Paris in 1959. That is, he heard about this case and uh, that uh, aroused his interest. Oh, so Chicago then really played a role. Man, a vital role. Publication a vital role. Which would become yes. a, yes. a landmark book. And the reason that Peter Orlowski and Gregory Corso yes. and myself came here was to give a big reading to raise yeah. money to publish the work under yes. the title Big Table magazine when Chicago Review wouldn't publish it. So this conversation we're having in this uh, March morning of 1975 is really a Part of a continuity, isn't it? Completely it's part of an old yeah. continuity yeah. that mm -hmm. goes back from '59 yeah. and goes up to '68 to to a tear gas filled lobby in Lincoln <laughs> Park mm -hmm. yeah, when they were, when we were still chanting "Om" and trying yeah. to get our language to across. '59. This, this was uh, the the phrase. We'll ask about Bill Burroughs' contribution yes. to this movement. Yes. The Beat Generation was just new at the time and had come into being, and we hear Alan describing it in contrast to the previous so-called Lost Generation. We hear this. This is '59. Let's hear what I said. <laughs> saying, well, if the other generation was a lost generation, what would people be naming this generation? But it was just, you know, like a goofy conversation. It wasn't a big, serious, formal, uh, let us now uh, uh, give a uh, formal name to a generation as if there are, is such a thing as a generation. You won't be cubbyholed, in other words. I mean, this is just a label. Well, it's a label that's been picked up, but it is, it's, a, it's actually quite a beautiful label, in a way. It's poetically interesting. The remark is interesting. Kerouac said, well, this then would be a beat generation, let's say. I, everybody's beat, everybody's uh, 
sort of worn down to a point where they'll be able to receive God. Well, let's feel free in this. Uh, let's make this a round table with Paul and Gregory and Alan. Uh, what Peter, about Peter. Uh, Peter, I beg your pardon. Peter, he's, he's Peter Orlovsky. Peter Orlovsky. It's a Russian, yeah. it's the Russian angel in America now. The Russian angel yes. in America. Yes, and he's come to Chicago to save Chicago. You're coming to there save is Chicago. There's a saving. There's going to be saved here. There's the great tensity here. We I feel see. it. Yeah. And you want to save Chicago? No, no, I don't want to no, save No, no, but you come I, to I save I want to see Al Capone's old heritage. I really yeah. dig him. You know, I pay homage to him. You I pay mean, homage to, to just, Al Capone. Yes. Once upon a time, there was an evangelist here named Gypsy Smith who sought to save Chicago by parading Gypsy down Smith. Chicago's red light district years oh, ago. Oh, but nothing like so. that. Naked? Nothing ostentatious Naked? like that. He didn't parade down naked, no. But uh, on the subject of nakedness, that we'll, we'll come to that as we go along. Let's dig further. Alan started, but let Gregory and well, ask me a Peter question. See how I can are the question. <laughs> Don't make me embarrassed. No. Just ask me and then it became a rather wild, but very, very, very funny conversation. Yeah. And the poetry came in, mm -hmm. and Alan ended by saying, "We asked about definitions of various things." You were saying, "Death was a letter that was never sent." Yes. Like Actually, I was quoting a line of a poem that I'd written, saying, That's "Death is a letter that was never sent." Yeah. Really? I, mean, I think Gregory said fried shoes as fried a definition shoes, of poetry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, a very odd thing. Yeah. That was this conversation and other conversations at that time was picked up by the uh, by Time magazine and uh, sprayed around America. It was a somewhat ugly version of the conversations, which was actually quite charming, as it you can was. hear it now. Uh, but uh, but unconsciously, it penetrated to a lot of young people. And year, ten years later, uh, in a conversation with Bob Dylan, he told me that reports of these conversations that he'd read turned him on when in, in where he was in his little Up hometown in of Minnesota. Yeah, that, that there were other people out there in America just like him and so that was like a, a little inspiration for him to turn on too. Come again no, we to something here Bill. I, get, I said I used the word continuity earlier. There's a flow. There's a, there is a flow whether some try to stem it or not it continues. Yeah. It goes on. Yes, even by trying to stem it they often uh, particularly of course the media is very double-edged um, that his time was allegedly very opposed to us, but certainly they did a lot to uh, to spread these concepts. As as the word, remember the word not used today, beat generation, used then in '59. I suppose the meaning has a it's a jazz word, a beat jazz beat. word. It's also well, a word that has a feeling of tiredness, mm -hmm. as being mm -hmm. what else? Uh, you, you well, I, I said in that conversation. Yeah. Uh, 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 beat down in the sense of dark night of the soul, but then also opening the soul up to receive God, which was my sort of crude terminology of those days. I would probably say now, leaving the soul open to the, uh, the, the great uh, spacious uh, uh, emptiness that uh, we share. How did you... Or the silence that we share. There again, we come uh, to Bill Burroughs and yourself, Alan, you said he was one of your, he was your earliest guru. and. I was camping a bit when I said Google. I know, but he was an influence on yeah. you. An influence on you. How did you become involved what was called the Beat Generation? You were one of the seminal figures there. Well, uh, through my association with, uh, with Alan, with Gregory, and Kerouac. And Kerouac. But um, I myself was in Europe from, um, let me see, about... Um, Oh uh, no! Even uh, Tanger, you were in Tanger, weren't you? Yeah, from uh, almost from uh, 1950. It was a uh, time that you were in New York with with, with me in '53. Yeah. We put together the Yahoo yes. Letters book that we wrote. That uh, I was here for about, uh, or rather, New York for 
several months at that yeah. time. And then you I thought I was out of the country while all this uh, was yeah. going on, while the reading started in um, the village mm-hmm. in New York. I'm thinking uh, also the, well, the great cat. climactic reading was the one here in Chicago that got national attention, and that was all over your work. Yeah. That was that was again 1959. Yes. By the way, the the influence of Allen Ginsberg and Bill Burroughs is not simply American. It's because there you were in different countries, and there were tremendous events in which you took part in other countries. Occasionally, yeah. The, uh, the, the I was involved with um, in uh, Prague in 1965 on May Day, with uh, during a time of thaw before the Russian tanks rolled in simultaneous with the tear gas in Chicago in 68. There was a thaw in Chicago, in, in uh, Chicago, in Prague. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's uh, interesting. Well, remember, Chicago was yeah, called yeah. Prague at the time. Yeah. Prague well, it was the same things happening, yeah. like yeah. a student rebellions and yeah. the tanks rolling in. But I was part of like a student demonstration on May Day, 1965, in Prague, where I was elected the May King. They hadn't had those May King Central European elections, which is an old traditional mm-hmm. thing since the Nazi times, yeah. and then since the communist times, and there was a thaw, and I was in yeah. Prague and so got elected and got involved with sort of a rock and roll uh, spiritual empire, and then expelled from yeah. Prague by the communists, yeah. as I'd just been expelled from Cuba several months earlier, um, and then wound up in London seeing Bill uh, at, at big parties with Bill in, 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 um, in uh, Mick Jagger and the Beatles. In, uh, in the mid-60s in uh, London. Now, I was thinking before we hear more readings from uh, Allen Ginsberg and William Burroughs from their work. Bill, found you, you found a yeah. text there that we could use. Well, before no, that, I, about the control take thing? A slight, no. let's take a slight pause you know, here for what is known as the message, and then we'll return with readings. And also, perhaps asking Alan, uh, Bill, particularly Alan, about art, his work, and life itself, and indeed politics, too. So we'll return in a moment after this message. Resuming the conversation with Allen Ginsberg and William Burroughs, who are participating uh, this Friday night at the Museum of Contemporary Art in a reading. They've been here for several days, and I'm sure it's been very interesting. You know, the amazing thing is, you see, we've never read together before. It's the first public. time. So this trip to Chicago, where we've been reading around, is and it, it, first it, time for us. And it's Friday night yeah. at the Poetry Center of the Museum of Contemporary Art, which is at 237 East Ontario Street, and it begins at... Uh, at 8 o'clock or so. Right. 8 o'clock, and then I suppose there'll be questions in the audience, too, if uh, need be. I don't know what we'll do. Well, um, see, but it'll be open. Yes. It'll be, and I know an exhilarating evening. It has to be that. It will be that. You were saying about readings. Uh, Bill, is there something, Alan was saying something earlier that there was something in Naked Lunch or another of your writings that are appropriate for one time, really? Well, uh, yes, I could read that uh, Bradley the Buyer. Yes, that'd be interesting. Yes. Do you have that here? I think I do. Yeah, why don't you check right. it out? That, and that, that he theme? also has the Exterminator Exterminator here, too. That's the most uh, recent yeah. book. Exterminator published in America yet? Yeah, that's yeah. For, for Viking. Cauldron Boy. Oh, it's Viking. Oh, well, uh, Viking published Exterminator Viking in the United here, States, didn't it? Yeah. And uh, here's... Yeah, I was an actual exterminator in Chicago in 1942. You were, yeah, you say? Yes. Well, you, you'd work an exterminator. Hmm? You I worked, worked as an exterminator here in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, that was that was yeah. a great glory when I first met him. It was uh, mythology. <laughs> give you a little oh sure quote here from the uh, article that I wrote for Esquire, Saturday, August twenty fourth, nineteen sixty eight. That's when you came back in from here. Yeah. That was yeah. my uh, yeah. That's very funny. I was I was think I always think of Black Flag. I always think mm-hmm. of Black Flag. Funny. Oh, when I first met Bill in New York, he'd just come from Chicago, <laughs> where uh, I'd never met a literary person who had actually been working 
uh, you know, like anonymously in some far city, suffering the pangs of an unrecognized ego, working in mm-hmm. like a, a trade like extermination. And it was it was sort of almost a Shakespearean uh, mm-hmm. notion. We were all reading uh, Jean Genet and or uh, uh, Céline, Louis Ferdinand Céline. Journey to the End long of the day, Night. And not Long Day, Journey yeah. for the End of the Night. Yeah, and uh, that was, is it fitted into that sort of literary tradition? Henry Miller. Mm. Go on. Bill. Well, yes, I consider myself very much in the picaresque tradition. Uh, the, the picaresque yeah. tradition, just a, a rather yeah. series of incidents, mm-hmm. rather horrific. And, uh, that the and funny, too. Yes, both. that the um, protagonist goes, goes through. through. Uh, in the tradition of the unfortunate traveler, which is one of the very early novels, and certainly Celine is in that tradition. And I remember yes. as a kid, I was not young, reading that book, *Journey in the Night*. I'm still one by a guy named Robin. There were two. There was Robinson. Yeah, there were two figures. Yeah, I mean, there was right. a, this guy mm-hmm. and his alter ego. Yeah. Remember that? This, yeah. As though Kerouac the, de- loved that couple as though the demon yeah. was pursuing this yeah, guy. Exactly. So we're talking about demons, aren't we? And, yep. and a way exercising demons in the writing, aren't right. we? Before well, the Bill demons Reed's of habit, the demons of conditioning, yeah. the demons of addiction. Yeah. Again, we come to the addiction. demons of power controls. Suppose, suppose we alternate. Uh, before Bill goes into reading uh, yeah. excerpt from Naked Lunch, you have something I noticed called going to Chicago. Yeah, that's uh, flying August 24th, 1968. Oh. Flying here to have a consultation with the uh, Earl Bush. Former Mayor Daly's uh, public relations man, who I think was went to jail. Or well, since then, yes, he's yes, suffered he some unfortunate. Oh, well, uh, Bush um, was trying to uh, call off this uh, our anti-war protest, saying, "Listen, I'm telling you, we're going to settle the war." Just Mayor Daly told me, "Trust, <laughs> oh, trust Daly us, said settle yeah, the war. We're going to settle the war, so don't don't protest." So I was flying to Chicago to you know, sort of meet Tom Hayden and uh, Rennie Davis and look over the things and talk with City Hall and see if we could get a permit to go to Lincoln Park. Because you have, just you have the, the the possibility of horror. There's always the antic aspect. There's always a comic aspect. Yes. Isn't it? This mm-hmm. is also one of the attributes of Allen Ginsberg's writing, isn't it, Bill? Yes, it is. It is indeed. Yes. What you got there, Bill? Well, I could read uh, this Bradley the Bar. Yeah, that was that, that gets back to the point we were making yeah, about so. control <laughs> as an addiction. Yes. Or the relation between the addict and the police, the symbiotic relation. I guess that would be. Do you want to set the scene for this, Bill? Just the, you want to preface this by, by describing the scene, or, or is it self-descriptive? I think it's more or less self-descriptive. Naked lunch. Yeah. Naked this is a reading from Naked Lunch. Of course, there are about four or five different dimensions to the narrative. Yeah, there. well, because what I was thinking yeah. was Senator Jackson's recent investigation of the Drug Enforcement Agency, in which he said that the Drug Enforcement Agency itself was so involved in corruption that uh, they had blocked an investigation into Robert Vesco's heroin operations, uh, as were alleged. It was so funny, though. When did you write, when, when was Naked Lunch first written? Uh, uh, it was written uh, really from over a period of years, from 1954. And uh, there were so about a thousand so pages about, of manuscripts. So about 20 years ago. 20 years. In, in short, Bill Burroughs called the shot. Exactly. About yeah. 20 years ago, first one of the earliest, most vivid and horrendous descriptions of addiction, dope addiction, but yeah. then comes the irony of the analysis of, of the actual And of, of industry condition. itself. Yes. And of course, I suppose... That phrase, a threat to the industry threat. on all levels. On which all means levels. That, uh, see, the point is that the Drug Enforcement Administration now has swollen its addiction to power and money to a $110 million budget a year. Is this vast bureaucracy now dependent on junk? Well, what's so funny? You've got the great humor, drug addiction. You watch the TV commercials, and you're watching all those patent medicines, and you're watching all those drugs that are illegal. You well, know, yes, composed. You know, that just 
to take care of colds and headaches and and uh, well, not nearly and drugs, and petrochemicals. Most of them completely worthless. Yeah. But drugs, nonetheless. Yes. Oh, so yeah. Well, drugs, but then also alcohol, then also yeah. cigarettes, but then also automobiles, yes. then also oil, then also energy consumption. The whole addiction to the material yeah. growth economy. In fact, you could even finally see capitalist growth economy notions as a sign of a oil burner yeah. habit. <laughs> Leading up to Literally. gross, gross yeah. national product. So I, I have suppose a, gross uh, would be the d most descriptive yeah. adjective. Uh, I have a, a poem, oddly, uh, written about uh, flying to Chicago, talking about this point. Looking down from an airplane on Chicago. <laughs> He's got addiction all over again. Well, actually, I was making use of Bill's metaphor. Yeah, I was coming way back to the beginning of this conversation. Yes. About an hour ago, almost, the, the matter of Bill's metaphor of the addiction yeah. Every aspect of our lives, power addiction. Even, though, even as you would think, I was thinking of one more you could add there, sports-watching addiction, primarily by the males of the American population. Well, the, the, the passivity of it. The passivity, yeah. Oh, but isn't there, isn't there also an addiction? Passivity, supineness, the watching, the spectator, also mm -hmm. an addiction it, it itself, isn't it? Well, I think... Uh, uh, well, you'd say it was partly television addiction. So what's the, what's, the, what's the cure? Yeah, I have a cure at the end oh, here. <laughs> okay, dust goes, so I remember. I think, in other words, the, the um, de-addiction is the um, empty willingness to observe uh, the vastness, the spaciousness, and the emptiness of the uh, place where we all are together uh, with our uh, habits. <laughs> which fill up this emptiness with uh, microphones, radios, complaints, voices screaming, uh, voices demanding, voices wanting, voices... Uh, rejecting. Rejecting. Uh, uh, voices babbling and insisting. Uh, aggression. Uh, aggression materialized into automobiles. Aggression materialized into billions of dollars, $100 billion worth of Pentagon hardware heavy metal. Uh, so it's the willingness to like empty out the mind and to exist without a matter habit, so to speak. Just a short, putting it in short form. This is not too removed then from you yourself then connecting, fusing the writings you do, the poetry and with the various Buddhist essays meditation. with meditation, with right. also participation. Yeah. Was there are you, Allen Ginsberg, taking part? There you were, not accidentally, with Bill Burroughs. Even though you weren't assigned for Esquire, you'd have been there anyway in Lincoln Park 68 or, wherever, or in, in Prague that day. Chanting that's also, home in Prague that's and chanting also part in of Chicago. It too, chanting on yeah. Michigan. But what, what is your, Bill, what's your... Uh, de-addiction medicine or practice or yoga or suggestion for whoever's listening? Well, I think it's very much the same as yours, Alan, is the emptying, emptying of the mind, the ability to look at the whole situation without saying anything about it compulsively, either, uh, either in protest or in agreement. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, as we know, is very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, Buddhism, meditation is one way of achieving this. Do you have an American, uh, That's, yeah. an American practice that you think would be more... Well, no, but it just seems to me that it's... I, mean, I think uh, we need to develop an American yeah, yes, practice. That it is useful to use um, 
scientific discoveries, since mm -hmm. we have them, there's biofeedback, mm -hmm. which uh, enables you to know when you are, uh, when there are alpha waves, the waves of relaxation mm -hmm. and um, alert mm -hmm. receptiveness are in your mind. And then, then when you l learn this, you can achieve it at will. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one, I think, very useful uh, adjunct to achieving this. There was a practice that you were talking about in London a couple of years ago when I visited, which was um, imagining alternative opposite states of emotion using words. Can yes. you describe that a little? Well, I think that that exercise is very much a yogic exercise. Yeah. It's known as the opposites. Huh. That is, you imagine, um, say, you imagine failure. Let yourself, let yourself experience failure. And then uh, you imagine success. So that, in a sense, uh, failure then will tune in success our fear will tune in courage. Mm -hmm. If you really let the fear come in mm -hmm. and let it yeah. uh, mm -hmm. flow through you and out the other side, that is the beginning of courage. It's not trying to suppress fear that you have. You know, you know it's interesting. Alan asked you a moment ago, is there an American equivalent, an indigenous yes. United States equivalent to what, to Buddhism? Other, yeah. And you just did it, you see? He said, we are addicted to the other addiction. Success, number yes. one. Yeah. And somehow if you're not number one, you're yeah. through. Yes. You're incompetent, you're impotent. Well, that you're was not the whole theory of our and foreign policy, America so being number one. So now, yeah. what, what I, if I follow yeah. Bill, yeah. using the opposites, hey, wait yeah. a minute, maybe if you fail in something, it does not mean you're dead. It means you're human. Exactly. May find perhaps this may be what it's well, about. What Bill was proposing was, uh, that we not be afraid to experience the yeah. sensation of being a failure, yeah. total failure, right being there. beat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, being uh, or, and then, and then uh, also experience the sensation of yeah. total victory. And go through a whole series yeah. of emotional opposites, just yeah. experiencing them both as objective right. experiences right. rather than being afraid of them. And as we're talking, the hour goes, but we know we do believe in continuity and flow. And so Friday night, there'll be more than a continuation of what happened. There'll be an offering. Uh, Stutz, offering. I'm wondering, uh, yeah. is, does this sound like a continuation of our conversation way back in 59? Absolutely, absolutely. 59, yeah. and perhaps a continuation of your first meeting with Bill Burroughs oh, sure. back then. Well, I but hope it continues for the next couple of decades. Oh, oh, I hope so. And perhaps it will, thanks to certain yeah, I hope somebody learned something out of yeah. it after all these years. You know, a after I tell the audience about, again, reminding them of the Poetry Center, Museum of Contemporary Art, where Allen Ginsberg and William Burroughs will be reading and offering and indeed performing and participating. That's this Friday, 8 o'clock. And it's quite an experience, by the way. It will be a very salubrious one for everybody. 237 East Ontario Street. You know, music is always good. And to, to end our conversation with, you said instead of um, uh, something like ah. So in Bill Burroughs, Allen Ginsberg, thank you very much. Of the space we're sharing mm -hmm. for sound and purification of speech. Ah. <laughs> uh, Oh. Uh.